plays with Texas players. of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I'm doing splendid, Parker. Uh, I'm going to get two new golf clubs on Saturday, and really, that's the best news I've had in months. Uh, How are you? I'm doing well. I'm not getting any new golf clubs, but I did get one of those watches that tracks your steps, so I'm getting a lot of internal validation by getting my uh, step count for every day. So No no free ads on this podcast, but Woot Band, or, or what'd you get? Uh, Garmin. Okay. I paid full price and you should not buy one unless you want one. Not because (laughs) I told you to. So I'm I'm good. I'm glad to see Garmin is transitioning out of the uh, GPS on your car game, which they got pushed out of by Apple Maps and Google Maps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Subtle transition, but yeah. Uh uh, It's a pivot. You might say. It is. It is definitely. Um, Grant, it's been, okay. Well, I was going to say it's been a crazy tour of 24 hours, but honestly, dude, it's been a crazy like six months at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been an exceptionally crazy 24 hours. Um, recently or earlier this week, we heard that the Ivy league was going to uh, punt on football for the fall pun intended. Um, and they were pushing back all fall sports and not 24 hours after that, we've now heard that the big 10 officially the PAC 12 unofficially the ACC unofficially, Uh, are going to play conference schedules only this fall. And the SEC is considering it. I imagine the Big 12 will be the lone holdout that at the last minute scrambles together with cardboard and duct tape to make some kind of conference-only plan. But uh, it looks like football is happening this fall in uh, a conference-only standpoint. So, Grant, initial reactions. How are are you feeling about that? Well, it's not great. Um, Looking at it through a TCU lens, um, obviously I was very – interested to see TCU play Cal. I was curious to see how that game would have played out. I think it would have been a good litmus test, not the hardest opponent to start the season off with, but a good test. And I think Justin Wilcox is a good coach. Nationally, I don't think it's a death sentence. I, I don't think it's the worst outcome. And, and, and any football is better than no football. So if they have to play a nine-game conference schedule or whatever, that's better than playing a zero-game schedule. So I think if you know me, if you follow me on Twitter, if you listen to me on the podcast, I err on the side of caution. So I'm all for conferences trying to play football as much as possible without putting their teams or schools in an in a, uh, unfavorable situation. The one thing I'll ask you, Parker, besides your initial reaction is, how does that do that? Because like, if Ohio State plays Iowa, what's the difference between that and Ohio State playing Kentucky or whatever? Like, I don't understand how this really helps. Yeah, well, uh, Ohio State would beat uh, Iowa like sixteen to zero, and they'd beat Kentucky like forty-two to thirteen. So okay, well, on one level, besides that, um, <laughs> but, but, but from a standpoint, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I, I just from a, how this uh, really so so I think that uh, I'll save my initial reaction for a second and address that because because I I, I, okay. I have some thoughts on that. Um, I think the strategy here, if we can go so far as to ascribe a strategy to whatever is going on right now in terms of trying to make college football happen, is like you know the NBA is able to go and play in a bubble, although they haven't Mm -hmm. done that successfully yet. So holding it off, Bundesliga, Premier League have both done that. Um, And so again, different cultural contexts, different situations, all of that. Um, But it's really hard with college football just because you have so many athletes, you have so many different things. They're also not professionals. So like they need to be doing school and stuff. There's all sorts of different living situations, all this nonsense. It's kind of harder to 
not not necessarily enforced because I, I don't mean to insinuate that college kids wouldn't follow rules um, any any differently than any other swath sure. of the population. Sure. Um, but it's just hard to maintain a kind of consistent standard of, of virus spread on that big of a level or virus risk on that big of a level. And so it's not that, you know, you want to play regional opponents because travel is bad. Travel isn't inherently bad. You can get your car and drive California to Florida and be safe from the virus from, from what we know right now. Um, and, and so what it really is, is trying to mitigate the number of cross connections. So if TCU plays Cal and they come back and they play Baylor, but Baylor's played Ole Miss and Ole Miss played Louisiana Monroe the week before, you're looking at like eight different states and hotspots, not to mention all the students coming in. So from a, a mitigation standpoint, you're just kind of limiting the nodes of interaction for the virus spread. So I actually think in terms of a a contingency plan, this is a pretty smart way to say, one, it's easier to enforce the consistent standards across a conference because there's more authority by the conference um, commissioners. And like Bowlesby can very easily say, hey, ex, uh, ex-athletic right. director, get your life right. together. Um, and then two, it also just limits the um, potential interaction and spread from different spots across the country. Right. And, and so not to sound like a cynic, although I am, but Brian Floyd of SB Nation or Maybe formally invest. Can we cut that part? Is he, yeah. is, he, is he still with SB Nation? I no idea, know. but we'll just say Brian Floyd. That's okay, fine. well, I'm just going to start from that sentence. Okay. Brian Floyd had a good point on Twitter, which is that, and again, not to sound like a cynic, but this is about liability. Like, obviously, like schools, and, and you want to believe that schools and officials and all that want to do the right thing and they want to make sure that their athletes are safe. And I truly believe that they do. But at the end of the day, all this comes down to, okay, look, like we cannot expose ourselves to like making that mistake that's going to get a bunch of kids sick because that's going to come down to a liability issue as much as it is a moral issue. And I think you're right. I think that the fact that the Big 12 or whatever conference has the authority to say, look, we can lock this down and we can say, look, we put these policies in place. So if they don't follow them or you know, if some accident happens, it's not our fault. So I agree that that's a good way to look at it. I, I still don't know if it's going to – help as much but but I, I do see where you're coming from and I do think that's probably the right way to look at it yeah and and I think my, my a point I've made that I called a, a medium take also was just like I think they should have announced a plan for this and made a decision in a couple weeks mm-hmm. um, which is kind of annoying we're in that period of life of like let's wait a couple weeks but I'm I'm I like I like having an abundance of caution. I also like having an abundance of preparation and contingency planning. Mm-hmm. And so my initial reaction to this is the similar one to the Harvard, uh, well, I, Ivy League pushing football back. I was like, that might be the right decision. I don't know if that's the right decision on July 8th, you know? Right. Because it's really not in- like anything's going to happen between now and then, except we're going to get more information, you know? Right. And I was really interested when you tweeted that poll on, on what you think, do you think this was the right decision? And if not, why? What were the results of that? Do you know? So that, that got close to, uh, that got pretty close to 50-50. It started out pretty skewed. And then as the not as online people got there, it felt like it moved back towards wrong decision. Um, I'm pulling that up to give us a, a, a live real-time results. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I said no, just because of what you said. I, I think if sports were to, scheduled to start july 20th that's the right call we're not ready to go back you know we don't know we don't have all the information i think they could have waited a bit this is coming from a guy who was risk manager of his fraternity in college so i understand the the mindset of you know wanting to manage risk ahead of time hey, you know you know that and five five dollars will get you a big mac meal it will let me tell you yeah yeah <laughs> I, I love big macs but uh no it, it it i understand 
where they're coming from. I do think they could have waited, but but so it was close to 50-50? It, was, it ended up being 58 to 41, uh, 58.5 to 41.5 in favor of it being a good idea okay. uh, with 205 votes. So, I mean, a pretty, a pretty decent sample. Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I, I think that there is, um, you know, Grant, I'm trying to be really delicate here because I don't want to inject my preferences on someone else. I don't also, there's no way for me to say like, hey, a college athlete should do something they're uncomfortable with for my enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so acknowledging that I'm, I'm aware of both of those things, I think there's something like culturally and nationally significant about college football. And if we could do college football this fall, man, it would be a really great thing for a lot of people's hearts, minds, and souls. As, as cheesy as that sounds, and as you know, non, non-data and non-measurable, we're getting close to momentum territory here. But you just think about that. Like I would just, a lot of people love college football, and it would be really, really great if we could figure out a way to safely make it happen. Um, and, and kind of retain that disposition of, we'd like to make it happen, um, which I, I feel like we're, we're flirting with right now. I completely agree. I think, so I agree with everything you said. I, I, I think the pushback on that and from the more um, online, um, probably cynical part of the population is that, yeah, I agree. College football is great. It's awesome. And every time it comes on, it's happy. I will watch any game with any dumb team that is playing. The fact of the matter is, is that these are, this is when you get into the fact that these are unpaid athletes, like you kind of mentioned earlier. And these are college students. They're not getting paid. The disconnect between having college football games with a lot of schools aren't even going to have in-person classes, in-person instruction, or some are going to be online only. Some are going to be a hybrid, things like that. I, I think the disconnect there is going to be really strange. Um, if they do play the games, I will watch them. I'm not going to boycott it based on that distinction. But I, I do think that is part of the moral conundrum and that you don't want to put these young athletes in potential of being harm's way. Uh, just for your own enjoyment. Having said yeah. that, again, if they do play the games, I will bet on them and watch them. So, uh, you know, yeah. I may be a bad person if I'm not sure. And just to do a, a little point counterpoint and keeping things light, sure. remember that uh, Ohio State football has been doing remote learning for years now. Um, that Justin fair. Field said, Completely the campus fair. is nice when I go there. Um, Cardell Jones did not come here to play school. Yeah, and, and that was, you know, forever ago. Yeah, so I think there's one element of that, too. It is also just fascinating, if I can put on my, like, nerd hat for a minute, to think about college athletes. Did you athletes, ever take it off? Well, I walked into that one. Um, college athletes are unpaid labor in one sense, and that is true. That is an absolute fact. They perform a service. It brings a ton of revenue revenue for um, – the school, and they are not uh, explicitly monetarily compensated in proportion to the value that they bring. That being said, college football for a subset of athletes is not just a reward for having a good high school career and, and all that. It is an avenue to develop a resume that gets you into the opportunity to make life-changing money in the NFL, mm-hmm. right? And right. so you think about corner solutions, right? If we play football and have 60,000 people in the stands and no one's practicing social distancing and we're all licking doorknobs. Um, that's, that's, that's really, really bad. Like we're going to have a lot of problems there. Yeah. If we play no college football, because we're worried about that, we are going to negatively affect a lot of young people's lives who True. two two. So you think about two athletes, one, um, someone who absolutely like Justin Fields is going to the NFL regardless. It doesn't matter. Um, we think we got guys who could increase their draft stock this year and get paid. Even if they have to wait a year, they get another year of eligibility. 
that's deferring their earnings from one for one year. That's a whole year of making life-changing money that they're missing out mm-hmm. on because um, they weren't able to hook up their stock. And then two, you think about, I mean, look, I know Bowling Green is Bowling Green, but some kid on Bowling, like the, the backup left guard on Bowling Green busted his ass his mm-hmm. entire life to be able to play college football. And it is just a tragedy if he gets no, and, and it might be, it might be justified. It might be what we have to do. I'm just saying it's a tragedy if he doesn't get an opportunity to play his oh, senior season. You know, I, I, I completely agree. And I'm not at all trying to downplay that. I, I'm, I'm really not. And I understand these, like, I don't know what the, if there was a survey number, I don't know what it would be of athletes in college that are like, no, like we'll just, we'll play. Like we want to play. I, I assume a lot of them do. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to cast aspersions on that. I just no, no, you're totally good. Yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of variables in play and I do agree that there is a middle ground. Um, and that, it, it, you know what, if they can isolate these athletes, if they can social quarantine them or whatever term you want to use and, and we, we can ensure that they won't, have any undue risk by traveling and practicing together to play these games. And yeah, I'm all for it. I, I just want to make sure that we have those systems in place before we play a college football season. And, and listen, <clears throat> I don't want to sound like the guy that doesn't enjoy college football. I wake up at 8 a.m. every Saturday and my roommates can attest to this and crank uh, big and rich. Um, you know, we're coming to your city and I, I, I'm all in on it. I just want to make sure we're ready before we go back. That's all. Yeah, Absolutely. Wear a mask before you come to our city, big yes. match. <laughs> um, remember Cowboy Troy? What a fun guy. Do you know who Cowboy do, Troy is? Yeah. Cowboy, Troy. yeah. Cowboy Troy went from like country kind of crossover artist to guy in the background of the opening game day sequence, like over a sequence of three years. Uh, I don't even know. Okay, it was just, so this is a this is how much I miss college football. These are the things I miss. Every Saturday, have you ever seen? We're gonna get deeper in the weeds here for just a second. Have you ever see the vine of that guy in the Spider Man uniform yelling, It is Wednesday, my dude? Yes. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Okay, every Saturday morning, I make a very elaborate, It is game day, my dude, Snapchat, and send it to my friends. Do you know how badly I want to do one of those? Dude. Like, I've been, I've been planning avenues to get one of those out. We need college football back, Parker. I, very badly. I, I just want to make sure we're safe. That's all. The other night before bed, I watched uh, Tulane Navy and from last year. <laughs> And okay, so you're laughing at that. It was the third time I'd watched that game. Uh, yeah, I we we need something. I can't watch TCU lose. What? God bless your wife. Oh yeah, oh yeah. She tolerates a lot. It's fine. Um, she makes me put in the headphones sometimes, but yeah. Um, okay, so let's. Those are kind of initial reactions. One, Grant, it's great to just like talk about football. I feel like we've just been like interviewing left and right, and that's been fun. Um, and we're gonna do some previews here and there. I do want to ask. Um, okay, there are some like. This is a, a potential turning point for college football here. And so I want to ask, if you were designing the Big 12's conference schedule this fall, knowing that they could only play conference teams, mm-hmm. what would you do differently besides just the round robin? Would you try and increase games? Would you try and make rivalries play more? Um, what's your ideal kind of conference game scenario? Well, I mean, everyone plays – Parker, see, that's the magic of the Big 12. Is that, a, you know, there's one true champion. Everybody plays everybody. So I don't know how you'd increase rivalry games. Uh, I think I, so I, I think, well, you could, you, you want, you want a whole season, right? If you could play 12 oh, so, okay, games, you'd okay, want to play so 12. We're going, so we're going a 13 game schedule, but just within the big 12. Yeah. So I think, I think you could do that. You should like, right. Yeah, you probably could. So you go home and home with rivalries. You have your marquee matchups and then you play the, the nine games of, uh, of the, of the regular slate. What team is going to screw there? It, it's Kansas. Well, West Virginia's life gets ruined regardless. Yeah, yeah Kansas and West Virginia. 
just because West Virginia is like going to play Iowa State. I don't know. There's who, who is their natural like whatever. I, I think you could make a really fun West Virginia Texas Tech rivalry. Yeah. Just because like not not to stereotype people, but I think they probably would get along very well, and they both kind of ran the the air raid for a while. I think you could do it. If you try. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Inception when they like at the very beginning, she's like designing the dream, and like the city yes. like flips over. Yes, that's what like Lubbock and Morgantown are. They're <laughs> just like right on the other side of like the the flipped city. That's a really good visual. Like a flipped over city. So yeah, that, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. Yeah. Uh, no. I, so so you've thought a lot about this. So do, do you have a, a take on it, or do you? I, have went, a, I went down like a train and tweeted some stuff, and you can go look at that. Uh, you, the reader, not Grant. You don't have to look at my Twitter account. Uh, just about like, hey, we could change some stuff that I think would be really interesting. I think. Um, with budgets being strapped, Olympic model of uh, amateurism seems super easy right now. Let guys get sponsored. That's like name and likeness stuff, but you could just flip the switch right now. Um, but, so, but so, yeah, I think, I think it would be interesting to do home and home. I think it'd be interesting to do pods. You have 10, so you have to do like three, three, four. But if you like played a couple games against each of them and you could play home and home, it'd be really interesting. I think home and home is fascinating because look at like 2014, uh, trigger warning. Uh, I should have said that before I said 2014 for TC fans. But, like, TCU lost to Baylor by three on the road to due to a controversial call. And Two that, controversial calls. Yes, well, true. That, um, that, like, laid out the entire landscape of college football. That affected mm-hmm. it. And literally, home field advantage in most betting models is, like, three and a half points. Literally mm-hmm. just home field advantage decided that. So, especially if you could be flexible with, like, the high scheduling games. And the, the Big 12 championship kind of does that. But if you could kind of get a way to make sure, like, quality teams both had a shot home and home, I think that would be really, really interesting for college football because it would affect so much. Because I think, I think home field advantage matters a lot more in college football than it does, like, in the NFL. I completely agree with that. I, I'm, I'm, this is a very – this is, like, the one-off case for this matter. I guess there's two. I forgot about the butt bowl between uh, Baylor and Tech, but um, that's been neutral site. But you talk about Texas-Oklahoma. Like, you make that home and home, or do you keep it the Cotton Bowl? The State Fair is canceled this year. The Texas State Fair is. So it probably didn't have the same ambiance of playing it in, you know, in a, in, in, at the neutral site. But are we doing this under condition of no fans? Are we doing this moving forward if we were just to design see, a – See, I think, I think it's like whatever actually happens this fall is like you, you do some of those controls for like the fans and the distancing and all that. But like you could structurally change that going forward. Uh, okay, so I don't I'm just trying to figure out the rules anymore. of this thought experiment. I can't figure out if Texas – how are Texas and Oklahoma not losing money by not playing on campus? Texas is fine. They're well, the richest I mean, athletic yeah, department in yeah, the country. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care. And neither does Oklahoma. Wait, they have so much money. How are they not winning more? <laughs> Listen, I, <laughs> how much time do you have? I've, I've, oh, gosh. I've, got, a, I've got a legal pattern. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. It's, like, it's just something to think about. Like, this is an interesting time to think about, like, one – there is no governing body in the NCAA. Like it is just the conference is doing whatever they want. And the NCAA, yeah, the NCAA is NCAA just no, trying. Yeah. Uh, but you see like, I mean, your, your guys, UNC was like, shove it. And the NCAA had to leave them alone. Ole Miss was like, shove it. And the NCAA had to leave them alone. Um, Missouri said we did something wrong and they got their lives ruined. Like clearly the NCAA isn't like this governing body that could say there's no president of college football. It's just like, Hey, yeah. let's figure all this out, which is interesting. Uh, Cause I, I certainly don't like, you wonder how much inefficiency there is because the conferences aren't communicating with each other and being smart about stuff. Well, I agree that if the conferences were smart enough to communicate with each other and create these plans, then we could really see a lot of innovation and all that. But I think 
with the current model of like the college football playoff committee and all that, I think if one conference does try to do something really interesting with their scheduling, or if two conferences decide to kind of go like a pod system, whatever, it could prove disastrous with the voters. We don't know if it's going to work. We, we haven't right. seen it before. And I think that risk is probably what's keeping conferences from innovating because if by some trick of the numbers, you know, let's, let's say Oklahoma has to play, let's say Bitchwell partners with the SEC and Oklahoma somehow through rotation plays Kansas, Arkansas, um, not so, poor Arkansas, uh, you know, Mississippi state and, and, and Vanderbilt and doesn't get Florida, Alabama, all that, then, okay, we'll do these wins matter. It's going to come out. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's always hard, too, because strength of schedule is so, so different. Um, I think the last thing I'll say about this is, like, we should undo scheduling contracts. We should have, like, a year of Jubilee and just, like, reset. Okay, I don't agree at all with, like, scheduling games 12 years out. Yeah, from, ridiculous. Like, we should say those. null and void. Nobody owns any money. Yeah. Scheduling in – so it's 2020, so 21, 22. Scheduling for 2022. Your, your 2022 schedule – is everything from then forward is wiped clean, renegotiate, and you can only schedule out three years in advance. Yeah. A, I think it helps teams because if you schedule a team that's good now and then it's terrible in 10 years, like if – okay, the uh, Alabama and Florida State played, uh, I think at Jerry World or maybe it was the, uh, in New Orleans. It was supposed to be like a marquee matchup. But, okay, well, like, Florida State wasn't very good. Yeah. Same with USC. I think Alabama played USC and USC was in a down year. Like you can project these trends out, you know, closer to the season and actually have marquee matchups that we want to watch. Yeah. That's, I've been on that block for a while. I, I haven't like articulated that thought, but it bothers the, the crap out of me that they plan these games out so far ahead. Yeah. And, and like from a TCU angle too, if I was a power five AD and had like an American conference rival in my Metro, I would say we'll play you every other year at our place. And yeah, like, but they're locked in. TCU SMU should like TCU should never play at SMU. I don't understand why they do that. You realize you at least beat TCU in Amon G Carter this year. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh that wasn't TCU's fault. That was uh oh, no, that was TCU's fault. Are you sure? Uh, <laughs> I think it's kind of been your block for a while. It was uh no, no, no. I mean, yeah, that's fine. That doesn't say anything about like the quality of like the program. They haven't had sustained success. I'm saying it should at least be a two for one. Like it just astounds me that TCU is not playing by the rules that the rest of the Power Five are playing in playing at SMU every other year. That's there, there is my part. Yeah, that's true. But what other situations like that are? There? I'm trying to think of ones off the top of my head of like Power Five team rival that's a G5 team. I'm trying like I can't think of any off the top of my head at the moment. I'm sure there are, but well, so I, there's what? like there's some interesting ones that are like App State and UNC or App State and South Carolina played each other. Um, yeah. Carolina, so, I'll tell you this, North Carolina is way too scared to schedule App State, and they I should would, be. Yeah, they I should would. not schedule that game at all. Um, there's some fun ones like, like, like Louisville-Memphis. All of them are like the AAC. Um, right, but, but TCU-SMU is like an established rivalry. Like, that's why they called the TCU-Baylor game the re-rivalry, because it wasn't a rivalry for forever. TCU yeah. and SMU is like – I'm sure there are, but it's the one I could think of that's like a legit P5-G5 rivalry. That honestly might be true. It depends on where you stand on where BYU is, because like Utah mm, yeah. BYU and Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame's power five. That's yeah. I, well, okay. Oh no, there it is. Notre Dame Navy. Yeah, good call. Okay, yeah. good call. Good call. Yeah, so that's another one. But again, that's mitigating circumstances. And Notre Dame, I think they play that at a neutral site, don't they? Yes, I believe they do. 
or at least, I yeah, I, I don't know. So, and Navy is different than SMU. I just still think that no one else in the Power Five plays every other year at a G5 school that has a really small stadium in their, in their area. Like, it does look like a high school stadium. No yeah. offense, SMU. The luxury boxes or the press box are very nice. Oh, yeah. The stadium looks like a high school stadium. It really does. It's small and, and it's fun. I, I like being over there and everything. It's just sure. like, it does look like a high school stadium. It does. And it's also not even named after the real Gerald Ford. It's a different Gerald Ford. Like, that has always bothered me. It is not named after the former president. It is a different Gerald Ford stadium. That's hilarious. It, it, it yeah, that blew my it's mind. It's hilarious the word. I don't know. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, there, I have so many thoughts about like scheduling and so many weird ideas they could do. It's just nice to have college football, like in some ways it's like a tacit endorsement of like, Hey, we're going to try and make college football happen. I feel like no news is bad news in terms of like this COVID world of when stuff's happening, but I wish they had announced a plan rather than made a decision. I agree. And I think that happens not just sports wise, like in my own current day job, like I would love it if local officials or state officials, have like press conferences every Monday to say, look, like we don't have anything to announce, but here's where we are. And here's what we're thinking. Like, yeah. even if we don't have, you know, a concrete plan, here's where we're at. Here are the, 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 the you know, the areas that we're looking at. Uh, I understand why they don't because they don't open to it for criticism, but I agree. No news is not good news at this point. And it's, it's just frustrating to be in this middle ground of like, okay, we're we going to play. We're we not going to play. And, and, and the uncertainty is, is the worst point. Like if I told you right now, Parker, that, Okay, you know what? Uh, Mark Emmerich made a decision. No college football this fall. You'd be bummed, and I'd be bummed. But a week from now, we'd probably be like, you know what? Like, I, it's not the end of the world. Maybe a month from now. Maybe a year from now. But the point is, is that, you know, eventually we <laughs> yeah. get over it. Right, but, right, right. But we know. Yes. You know, it's, it's a not knowing that's, that's killing me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um... Yeah, man, weird times, weird times. Hopefully, hopefully something good happens and hopefully, you know, yeah. uh, I don't even know what I'm going to say there. I'm going to be like, hopefully the models are wrong or so. I, I don't even know. I just hope we get this thing do, under do, control and can do this. So do you want to talk about actual football now? Yeah, I think we, I think we should. I think I could just stand here and pontificate about life's existential uh, dread, but we should, we should move forward. Um, tonight we're going to do a little talking. Uh, we're not going to, I don't want to call it a preview. I call it a preview mm -hmm in the uh, in the tweet but i just want to talk about kansas state and then do what i'm calling the tcu fans guide to watching baylor in 2000 mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, i like that so yeah kansas state won relatively benign team so i like talking about them let's talk about them first uh they're they're really interesting to me uh in 2019 they went eight and five they were five and four in the big 12 they uh technically like tied for third although there's tiebreakers and stuff which is a pretty decent finish for kansas state um 6.1 second order wins. So it seems like they got pretty lucky. They had three one score losses as well, four and three and one score games. So um, they, they were 46th overall in the SP plus 66 on offense and 47th on defense, which is uh, very in line with Kansas state numbers, mm -hmm. uh, 73rd passing offense, 94th rushing offense, which is not in line with Kansas state standards. Um, and they lost to Navy in the Liberty bowl. Um, and they are 76th in returning production. Uh, 80th on offense, but sixth on defense. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, an interesting part or an interesting place for Kansas State, I think, because Chris Kleiman had maybe a year zero last year, but it started to look more like a year one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the lesson we learned last year is that Chris Kleiman is probably just one of the top three or four coaches in the Big 12. I know that's probably elite, but the guy won a bunch of titles at North Dakota State. 
came to Kansas State and won um, much more than anybody expected in his first year. His system isn't alien to a Bill Snyder offense, but it's certainly not the same. And he still managed to take those guys um, and exceed expectations. So I don't think that means that Kansas State is primed for a big breakout year next year, but I do think we can expect eight or nine wins out of the Wildcats for a long time going forward. Not to look ahead. I, I just think that's the lesson that we learned. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I actually, I thought about that, you know, just rewatching some games this year. And especially since we rewatched uh, earlier this offseason, the Kansas State TCU 2014 yes. game, yeah. which is pretty wild. Um, and we were seeing uh, Jake Waters, Jake Waters running this like quarterback draw RPO thing that was like Bill Snyder kind of inventing modern offense for anybody else is really running like modern offense. It was pretty um, fun. Yeah. And, and so you think about that, you're like, oh, well, this whole like QB power kind of stuff is, um, is not, yeah, like exactly like you said, not, not foreign to Kansas State, not as exotic as people think. Um, it is weird that their passing offense was better than their rushing offense, but mm -hmm. neither of them were very good. So that doesn't really bother me. We do have to talk about Skylar Thompson, though, because if you talk about a quarterback who can do what Jake Waters did, which is get in the shotgun, run up to the line, and then dump the ball to the open receiver, Skylar Thompson's pretty good at it. He's your man. I, I, yeah, he's not going to have a, a crazy game. He's not Colin Klein for example, but he is Jake Waters. And Kansas State was really good that year with Jake Waters. So, of course, they don't have Tyler Lockett like they did in 2014, which I still think about watching that game tape again and think about how good Tyler Lockett was. Dude, he's, he's incredible. He's incredible. And he's still good, like with the Seahawks. He's not even that big. Yeah. But, yeah, I know Skylar Thompson is a Kansas State quarterback. I think that's a great way to put it. Um which is interesting. I mean, one, he's a Kansas State quarterback because he feels like he has been there for nine years. And I know yes. I say that about so many football players, which is some of these guys stick and you're like, dude, did you change your major like four times? Why are you still in college? Um, yeah, he, it, so, so he beats out Alex Delton outright this offseason, which is super interesting because Alex Delton is more experienced. Um, and hey, what happened to Alex Delton? Uh, Alex Delton, I hope, got his degree and is going to get a good job. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Me too. I'll make that very clear. I, I hope he got his degree and has a good job. Yes. Um, yeah. Th Thompson, you know, 59.6 completion percent. So not like an amazing precision passer, but, uh, you know, 12, 12 passing touchdowns, 11 rushing touchdowns, 47.8 success rate on rushes. So like a really, really productive season. He was third in the Big 12 in rushing behind Jalen Hurts and Max Duggan. Uh, in terms of QBR and value added. And so, uh, you know, he was like ninth in passing. So I don't, I don't know that he has tools to like be elite, but for Kansas State's offense, you just need like consistent and can run. And I feel like Skylar Thompson checks every single box you need for Kansas State. I completely agree. Um, spoiler alert, if you subscribe to the Purple Theory Substack, you will read a piece that I will, I will have up tomorrow on uh, complex quarterback running packages uh, modeled after something that Deshaun Watson did. It should be very fun. I would love to see Skylar Thompson do a lot of that. But yeah, he's, I wouldn't even call him a dual threat guy. Like, Sorry, I'm laughing. Like, I'm laughing because I just thought, had the thought in my head, Skylar Thompson is the Kansas State's man's uh, Deshaun Watson. Like the poor man's Deshaun <laughs> is the Kansas State man's Deshaun Watson. Manhattan Watson. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, but, but he, you know, he, he, like I said, he, he's not even a dual threat guy. His, He's, he's a one threat guy, but he is like half, it's like 75% running threat and 25% passing threat. And it makes one threat. So yeah, he's a good quarterback. He's just, he's, but you kind of know what he's going to do. Look at, look at you implicitly referencing expected value there of his, uh, of his threat. I like that. I did lot. not know that, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. Like if you I'm, can, I've you discovered know. plutonium by accident. Exactly. Yeah. Don't shake the bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and so so that's super interesting. You know, they lose their their number one wide receiver, um, who was uh, J- uh, no James Gilbert was the running back. Dalton Schoen uh-huh. um, as a senior. Uh, they do lose their their number one running back, but uh, you know, neither of them were like amazing. They were just mm-hmm. kind of consistent. The passing game, you know, wasn't wasn't really there at all. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of the rushing and kind of the passing to to punish you for for defending the rush but um there was an exciting freshman Malik Knowles and and his his yeah. his name stuck out a little bit you know he had 47 targets he had three touchdowns 57 percent catch rate so like he was involved and I think with Sean gone he'll be able to uh he'll kind of thrive as like the guy who gets the care or gets the catches yeah um which is yeah the troubling part is as you've noted here is that they're losing all five offensive line starters from last year all five, which is uh, less than ideal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's impressive. Now, it, it wasn't a good unit. Um, they were 91st in sack rate allowed. Um, and like you said, the rushing game was 94th in SP Plus last year. And that's not Thompson's fault. Um, so we've talked before on this podcast about, okay, experience is one thing, but good experience is better. Uh, or, or experienced good players are better. Um, no offense to anyone on the Kansas State offensive line. They weren't that good. So maybe they're just kind of starting fresh with new players that could be better than the old line. But the fact of the matter is that they are starting fresh. Uh, addition by subtraction, some might say. Yes, exactly. um, and, and, and so I think there's two caveats there that are, that are worth noting in Kansas State's line. Kansas State has had pretty above average offensive line consistency year over year by developing guys and sitting them their freshman, sophomore, junior year and starting them their senior and redshirt senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just had, you know, five guys graduate at the same time, which is again, top of your development cycle. That's like ideal. And that's a lot of the reason they, um, I think went one, eight games cause they had offensive line consistency. It wasn't necessarily quality, but they didn't have any, any huge, you know, gaping holes in the offensive right. line. Um, and so I think there's one, one standpoint of, uh, Chris Kleiman absolutely has the experience to like develop guys and knows what he's doing with like, Hey, you're a raw talent and you need to be molded and then you'll play really well at North Dakota State. And I think he can do that again at Kansas State. I think that skill set translates really, really well. Um, also, the name's escaping me, which I know makes for really, really good um, podcast audio. But uh, there was a Kansas State lineman who played a ton in relief last year who's going to start. Um, and and so it's like a little bit misleading that they're bringing back zero starts. Because uh, sure. technically they're bringing back all five. They're bringing back no starters. But they are bringing back a six offensive lineman who played a lot of guard last year. Right. Right. I got you. Yeah, no, and, and, and that makes sense. And um, I'm trying to find that name while I'm stalling here, but uh, I, I, there's one other aspect of what happened with Kansas state last year that makes me laugh, um, which is that Chris Kleiman came into Manhattan, you know, okay, it's going to be a different, a little bit of a different scheme than Bill Snyder. And yet he still basically did the Bill Snyder thing, which is they were 39th overall uh, at finishing drives. And then we're 105th uh, in ISO PPP, so like no explosion whatsoever. That's like that's like a deliberate refusal to have a big play. This guy talks and run aside. It's just like easy. we're not doing it. When you get 12 yards, you you drop to a knee. Yeah, um, it, it, it's the most Kansas State stat of all time. Yeah, uh, that offensive lineman is Josh Rivas Thank uh, you. from Kansas State. I, I was never going to get there. I had to look it up, but um, yeah. So so I think there's optimism there. I don't think I'd circle Kansas State offensive line and be like, this is the reason they're going to go 0 and 9 this year. Like right. I think they'll. I think it's a weird spot because Kleiman's kind of played – they played to their ceiling last year. Like, I think eight wins was absolutely the best that Kansas State team could have mm-hmm. done um, given the circumstances. And I think they played to their ceiling. And they'll regress a little bit this year. But the thing is, with Kleiman, their floor is going to be 
six or seven wins. So much you know, better. Yeah. 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 I, I, not even better. Like, that's not a, a <clears throat> like to Bill Snyder, although I do think he retired two years too late. But, like, Kleiman is such a good coach. Like, he's going to win games for Kansas State. Absolutely. And I, I don't say that about a lot of coaches. Absolutely. I do love this. But so I just like looking up Kansas State's year over year history. And it's really funny because, you know, Bill Snyder's the coach from like 1989 until 2005. Like Ron Prince time. Ron Prince comes That's in. Ron, Ron P for Kansas State. Uh, meanders to a Texas Bowl loss and then goes five and seven twice. And then Bill Snyder's like, no, I'm coming back in. <laughs> Winning season, eight straight bulls. Like, no, yep. you can do it, uh, which is just crazy to me. Like, the dude is just so consistent. So yeah. really, really impressive, um, especially like over that period of time. Like, Bill Snyder won 10 games in the 1990s, in the 2010s, and in the 2000s, or in the 2000s and in the 2010s. Like, that's, that's pretty impressive. He was like a win away from the national championship game in the 90s. Like yeah, he, was that uh, uh, 97 or 98? 97, where he's in the Fiesta Bowl? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he, yeah. Just an incredible, incredible coach. I, I, I think he didn't adapt at the end. But, yeah, but now that Climate's here, it's, it's going to be just so fun to watch. Yeah, and it's um, a lot of that fun, like, QB power kind of stuff. So yeah. I think Thompson will do great. Um, I think their defense is going to be really, really good again. Uh, I, I, yeah, I am worried about, like, that much. Have you, have you seen a picture of Scotty Hazleton? No, let me Google him right now. Okay, just Google Scotty Hazleton while I vamp for a second. But Scotty Hazleton is Kansas State's old defensive coordinator. And if you just closed your eyes and said defensive coordinator, Scotty okay, Hazleton I'm, I'm comes to your looking. mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. like he is that yeah. guy. Um, yeah. And so I think that's hilarious. Just, just He's just such a football guy, but he's gone. So not relevant anymore. Uh, and, and Joel Klanderman kind of moves over. He was super good at North Dakota State. He was Chris Kleiman's um, – defensive coordinator there so climbing is kind of doing uh, a little bit like tom herman did you know tom herman hired a bunch of people from ohio state and mm-hmm. and climb is just like no we're just bringing north dakota state success here so i think there'll be a lot of continuity they have a ton of returning production um elijah sullivan um looks to be kind of the anchor right there i think uh junior end wyatt herbert is probably mm-hmm. going to be their best player and one of the better defensive ends in uh in 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 the conference at least yeah i agree and uh, i think um Kansas State's defense, like, traditionally has been pretty solid through the years. Um, at least they don't seem to get blown out that much. That's anecdotal, but I, I still think it holds. Again, 47th uh, overall in SP Plus last year, decent enough. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to hurt them uh, much coming into uh, 2020. No, not at all. And, and I will say about Wyatt, Wyatt Herbert, uh, it is really nice to have a Kansas State defensive end with long hair wearing a number in the 50s. Like, that just feels like the best. that's one of those football things, you know? Yeah, it is. Is it Herbert or Hubert? Just making sure. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm seeing here. I'm seeing Herbert. Hubert. Wyatt. I should know. Wyatt. Oh, it is Hubert. I put an R in there. There's How no about R. that? It's Hubert. Yeah. yeah. Learn, learn something new every day. The boy with the long hair is what we'll call him. And, uh, yeah, a very, very good end for sure. So, so my, my questions uh, kind of about Kansas State are like, man – what, what do you, where do you go from year one? Like, I think there is a little right. bit of, uh, Grant, you, you're a film guy. You've seen The Graduate. I have. Okay, you know, at the end of The Graduate, when, spoiler alert for a movie that came out in, like, 1970-something, uh, he, like, gets the girl, bangs on the window, yells, and then they go into the, uh, they go into the bus. the bus. They're sitting in the back yep. of the bus, and it zooms in, and he's at the bottom of the pool again in his head, you know? And it's like, yep. Sounds of Silence comes on, and he just looks, and he's like, I have everything I want. What now? I feel like yep. this is that moment for Chris Kleiman, and not that he's like anxious or worried or whatever, but it is just kind of like, dude, you came in and won eight games with a like okay team. You're losing a lot of offensive line production. What are you going to do now? And so I think that's kind of Kansas State's question. 
I completely agree. I, I think the consistency of having Thompson back, even though we halfway ragged on him for five minutes, um, is good just so that he doesn't have to start over at the quarterback position. Um, I think that's going to be huge. I do think the familiarity of bringing in Klanderman helps. Um, so I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think Kleiman is freaking out at the moment. I think he's probably willing to say, okay, we're going to win eight or nine games again this year and be like a solid team that could surprise somebody. And that's fine for year two, really year one and a half in Kansas state. Um, I, I, I think he's trying to build a legacy. I don't, think he's going to try to shoot the moon this year and try to win you know obviously okay coaches try to win every game they coach but I don't think he expects to win you know 13 games this season I, I think a nine-win season would be great for Kansas State oh absolutely and and even I think if they treaded water and won eight games again in a row that would be that would yeah. be impressive just because like, they were so lucky last year dude, they're in Manhattan Kansas like they're in the desert and they're still churning out these results that's impressive anything yeah. above that is you know just added value Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So looking at their schedule, I, I guess we're ignoring non-con. Um, I was interested in that because they had, yeah. they had Buffalo coming to Manhattan and Buffalo was like sneaky last year. Uh, so I thought that might be interesting, but it, it, I don't think it is. They had uh, North Dakota and Vandy too. So non-con probably, probably wouldn't have been anything anyway. You had ND in the notes and I was like, Kansas State oh, is playing dude. Notre Dame. The hardest, hardiest, <laughs> most American game in the history of like, Gosh. Newt Rodney just smiling down from exactly. above. Yeah. Yeah. But the con- conference schedule, they, they have a good home slate. They have pretty much all the teams you want at home, except Oklahoma. But I mean, yeah. Texas, Kansas, uh, Tech, and Oklahoma State all coming to Manhattan. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I think, I think you basically win, you know, your non con, and then you beat KU and Tech and split Texas, Oklahoma State, like upset one of those. And that right there gets you to a bowl. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. And then, you know, you've got a shot at, West Virginia, Iowa State, Baylor on the road. All three of those have, uh, you know, I think Iowa State's probably the hardest one out of that. Yep. Um, but I, I think I think I can see eight wins pretty pretty feasibly. Eight. I don't know that I'm predicting it. I'm just saying I could see a path. Oh, for sure. Where's the TCU game this year? I should know this. It's uh, oh, it's it's in Fort Worth. Oh, it's yeah. in Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you you, yeah, win. I don't know. Like you said, three of those home games, sweet. Well, non-conference doesn't exist. That's another thing we should have talked about at the beginning and not to go down that road now, but how does that affect bowl eligibility? I haven't even thought, I've literally not thought one second about yeah, that. Yeah, me neither. And it's, it's going to be very weird. Holy cow. Uh, they should make like Iowa, Iowa State and Texas, Texas A&M like play each other. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they should make Texas and Texas A&M play each other, but that's going to have to go through the governor's office before that happens. Um, so, okay, but all right, look at the conference. Let's nail it down. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to reel off a game. We'll say win or loss. Okay, we gotta write. We gotta write these down. We did this last year with TCU, and we both ended I know, up like we fourteen didn't write wins. Them down. Okay. Okay, I'm here. All right, home against Texas. I think I'll say lo- loss. I think loss. I say I think loss. Home for Kansas, win. Yes, absolutely. Home for Tech. Uh, home for Tech, I think is a win. I think it's a win. Home for Oklahoma State. I think that's a loss. I said they were gonna split them, but I think they're gonna lose that game, dude. Yeah, I think they are too. That's, okay, that's so November twenty first. That's like end of the yeah, season. Yeah, Oklahoma State will be able to yeah. keep rolling. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll call that a loss. Wait, hold on. I'm. I'm. Hold on. I'm writing these down so I have okay. these. Okay. Texas is a loss. We're aligned so win. far. We're one and we're one and three. Okay. So here, let's go. Let's go in order from where we are. So at West Virginia, win. I'm saying win as well. Uh, Texas is a loss. Kansas win at TCU. Loss. 
lost. Had second year lost. Max. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah second year Max Duggan. No. Yeah. Um, at Iowa State. You know what? Screw it. I'll say win. I think you do something weird and win that game. Real wrong about that. Um, Texas Tech, we're saying – I'm saying loss there. Texas Tech, we're saying win. Win, yeah. Oklahoma, we're saying loss. Yeah. At Baylor, we're saying – Man, I'm torn. Because I'm weirdly high on Baylor. Uh, uh, I guess just in the national sense of reading a bunch of previews. But I'll I'll say loss. Okay, with that, I have them at four and five. You have them at five and four. Uh, But that's about right. And then if you assume they sweep non-con, that's eight and four. It's like it's like I assume they're going to go four and five or five and four, and then they're going to do something stupid. So like there'll be one game, yeah. So they'll do something stupid, but then they'll also beat Oklahoma. Well, that's what I mean. Is like they'll do yeah, something weird. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, something super good. Yeah, yeah, I got to. Yeah, no, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, so that that makes that makes sense. I think that's kind of like again, you think about if your season is like a draw from a distribution, you want your mean in the Big Twelve to be at least five and four, if not six and three. You know. Sure, I'm going to pretend I understood what that meant. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, I went to school for a long time. I just feel like I need to say things like that <laughs> I got a journalism degree in three and a half years. Parker, do you want to talk about Baylor? No. <laughs> well, I don't know, have you noticed this? This has been my heel turn. And, like, in like the last two weeks, I've just decided we're redeeming the timeline by uniting – like, we're hating Baylor again. I don't know. It's been, it's been fun. I feel like we're getting back to our roots. I know. Now that Matt Rule's gone, it's kind of easy, although I right. do like Dave Aranda. Honestly, um, I like Dave Aranda, too, and I'll probably come around to him. But it, it, I spent so much goodwill talking about Dave Aranda – or talking about Matt Rule. And yeah. uh, he got hired, and I was like, all right, I did my part. Um, I, I'll yeah. say this. I, I am mad that the AAC didn't take up my offer that I wrote last year for Baylor to join in place of UConn, now that UConn's out. Uh, I really think it could have been a good addition to the conference. It would have worked. Would you trade? Would you trade Baylor for Memphis? yeah man yeah i would would you trade baylor for cincinnati i i have a weird um because it's because of college basketball but i don't like the university of cincinnati okay here's the here's the the litmus test would you trade baylor for houston oh um i'll say yes we can keep it in texas yeah okay interesting yeah i think uh yeah houston's sleeping giant yeah, see, like, I think, if they figure it out and like if they can find someone other than Tillman for Titter to give them money, like I think they're gonna be really good. But that's the thing is like I think if you switched out Baylor for Houston, Houston would recruit way better and like Yeah. I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. They they'd be I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but Baylor is here. They went eleven and three uh last year, eight and two, uh, second in the Big Twelve, lost in the Big Twelve championship game to Oklahoma. Had 10.8 second order wins, so that's about right for their record. They're five and two in one score games. That includes a couple overtime wins over Tech and TCU. Includes overtime loss in Oklahoma. That um, Texas Tech win has the biggest asterisk. Oh, asterisk. as if the TCU win doesn't. Um, it yeah, does, Max I, was it, not in. I hate this. Sorry. I know he was. He, he was out. But but still, I, they shouldn't have kicked a 55 yard field goal or whatever it was. To, if they, they should made, not. Oh TCU God. should not have given the ball to Charlie know, Brewer know, with two minutes know, left. What know, the hell, guys? I know. I know. Sorry, yeah, um, I got excited. It's no, I understand. Um, lucky you're good. I, I think they were good. I think they were probably nine wins good. I don't know if they were 11 wins good. Um, but they did lose Matt Rule, who left for the NFL. Dave Aranda comes over from a very successful tenure as defensive coordinator at LSU. Uh, this was their fifth 10 win season since 1990 and their 14th winning season uh, out of 29 since then. Outside of Art Bryles, they've had one 10 win season. Uh, 
since 1990, 14 or 22 were losing, and they've only made five bowls without uh, that man as head coach. The Sugar Bowl was their third near six uh, BCS Bowl appearance, but they lost all three, which is very funny. Parker, how many times have you watched the Michigan State player laying out the Baylor kicker? Wait, was it, was it the Baylor kicker? Was it, it wasn't the other way around. No, the kicker got laid out. The kicker got laid out, yes. Yeah. Uh, I actually, like, as someone in high school who got hit a couple times and heard ringing and told no one about it, okay. I, like, stuff like that makes me nervous. It was funny in gifts later on, but I haven't, like, actively sought it out. Don't, don't bring me down, man. I, I oh, no, that, no. I hope, that, I hope that young man's all right. It was an incredible highlight. He wasn't, like, hurt. Like, he got up and walked off. He's, but then he got he, his I bell hope, rung. I hope he's okay. I don't want anyone hurt. It was an incredible highlight is all I'm saying. That game was um, just beautiful in general just because, like, God was like, okay, a grave injustice has happened, and I'm going to do my best to make it right. In the most entertaining way possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and they were a good team last year. They were 18th overall on SP+, 28th on offense, 18th on defense, which I didn't realize how good their defense was, uh, 40th uh, in passing uh, offense, 8th in defense, 37th rushing offense, 40th defense in SP+. This is where we get to the, the – um, the kind of the downside, they were 108th in returning production, uh, 51st on offense, and 127th on defense. How many Division One teams are there? Like 132? Uh, 130. 130. 130. So they are – they, they returned the up. fourth least amount of people uh, in the country. 50th in recruiting, eight in the conference. God-awful, Parker. Okay, well, all right. I was informed on Twitter uh, in November – uh, by some people who had a lot of Bible verses in their bios who made penis jokes when I said that the size of the class does matter, uh, that they were saying that it's okay that Baylor wasn't good because they do have uh, – they, they took a small class intentionally. Like, they tried to be bad. Did they? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it's not like the program's in shambles or anything. It's like, also, if you want to win a national championship, uh, you can't be eighth in the Big 12 in recruiting. Um, and, and the caveat on their offensive production – the, this, these returning production numbers from Bill Conley are weighted, and they are weighted heavily towards a quarterback. So they bring back Charlie Brewer, who is insanely productive, and they're only 51st. Um, yeah, so one. it's not like they have a huge offense. They just basically have the quarterback in there and, some, and, and uh, a young but, but real thin offensive line. Um, and so they're replacing, like, all of their skill players, which they have talent, but it is one of those things to note, like, 51st on offense there is, is a little bit deceptive. Yeah, I also want to note they, they only had three four-star recruits, um, which I know TCU and Baylor are kind of in that small private school in Texas. They don't get the five stars. But even for a team that was really good last year, and I know they swapped head coaches, but that seems low. Yeah, if, if I was, like, building a program, I would ideally hope that, like, I would get some kind of bump. Even if my coach left, I would be able to, like, get a recruiting bump. Right. And so if Baylor doesn't, you know, finish near the top of the conference next season, it's going to be real weird that they didn't – capitalize you know it's like a wasted opportunity i think iran is a good coach i think he's a good recruiter he at least got a lot of talent to um to lsu if he was in charge of recruiting defensive players but yeah yeah anyway uh okay so real quick baylor recruiting trivia just because i didn't know this uh can you name me any of baylor's top three all-time recruits i can because you just highlighted the notes uh, no you weren't supposed to look at it son of a gun all right well i'm just saying this is a fun fact i'm just i'm pivoting uh trivia is now becoming fun fact uh Baylor's Baylor's top three recruits Katie Cannon was a five-star um sure. as was Robbie Rhodes Robbie Rhodes transferred to Bowling Green and is evidently eligible last year which seems crazy um and then Jared Stidham was their third highest who played quarterback at Auburn for most of his career 
and is uh, was going to be the quarterback of the New England Patriots until the Patriots said, oh, actually, you're bad. We're going to sign him. <laughs> Not even that you're bad. It's just we can get Cam Newton. You're Jared Stidham, and he's Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, and that's incredible. Although, if you think about TCU's highest rated recruits, it's not the guys that became the big stars. Um, I mean, Shewo was probably, I, think, I can't remember off the top of my head, but third or fourth highest rated recruit in TCU history. And he was a very good player, but he wasn't an all-timer. No. Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, I mean, TCU's, dude, TCU's top five list is, like, sad. It's, well, Devontae Fields, right? Well, Devontae Fields is seven now because Garrett, okay. uh, Garrett Hayes and Zach Evans are in there. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Let me see if I can get it without, without looking. Um, Justin Rogers. Yeah. He's two. Was Sean Robinson up there? No. Sean Robinson oh. is okay. – uh, wow, wow, wow. Way lower than I thought. Sean and Robinson he, is 16th. He's a four-star, uh, .922, but – Okay. Fields, where's he, uh, where's he at? Fields is seventh. Okay. Well, okay. So the, you're the missing. Who's... You're missing three, four, five. Uh, you got Shaywo at eight, nine, and ten. Okay. Well, then I'm not gonna just tell me. <laughs> and eleven, and twelve, and thirteen. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. I get it. And um, twenty, and twenty. Okay, so it's it's an interesting day. So you got like Zach Evans, uh, Justin Rogers, Quentin Johnson, who should be yeah. a premier yeah. wide receiver. Yes. Hopefully, he weighs more than 180 pounds this fall. Fingers um, crossed. Ladarius Brown, class of 2011. He caught some passes. Before my time. Uh, Jalen Rager is fifth. He's a four-star. Yep. Garrett Hayes, offensive lineman who should hopefully redshirt this year and gain a lot of uh, muscle uh, and be a mainstay of the TCU offensive line as a redshirt. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be next year. Yeah. I've seen – I don't watch film. I've seen some of his film, dude. He looks awesome. Yeah. Um, Devontae Field to seven. Shayla Alana Lewis, eight. Isaiah Chambers – Class of 2016 is a name. Uh, and then number 10, Jaquez Sorrells, uh, who is a defensive tackle who will um, – this says class of 2019. I thought he I had think, another year. I think he does. I, I can't remember the top of my head, but yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's, that's – yeah, but so none of those guys are – I mean, Rager obviously was very, very good, but none of those guys were the stars of the TCU show. So that is interesting looking at Baylor that way of – They've had a lot of really, really good players. Like RG3 won a Heisman. Uh, they've had a ton of talent at wide receiver. Uh, but I, I, I do wonder if eventually they're going to have to, if they want to really contend for a Big 12 title or national title, make more effort in recruiting five stars or high four stars. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and that's like, I mean, it's the same problem TCU has, right? Like, yeah, and I think exactly, TCU has a same problem. different level of sustained success. You know, I, we throw in those numbers about like Baylor with and without uh, what's, it, what's yeah. his face. And um, I mean, they, they really have had very little success outside of that, outside of him. And, it, and, and so TCU's been able to get some sustained success outside of that. But like, if you want to continue to consistently compete nationally and not just get lucky, you've got to recruit. Like the ta- talent matters, man. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that's really interesting that they're, it's not like TCU, like TCU is consistently, you know, third in the conference, you know, 30 to twenties range right. of recruiting. Baylor dropped so far this year. I know it's, it's incredible. Again, Matt rule, good person, great recruiter. People trusted him. Good guy. Um, yeah. okay. So but let's, let's break out what we got coming in 2020 for Baylor. Um, look at the offense. You bring in Larry Fedora, um, formerly of the university of North Carolina, uh, good offensive coordinator, I think. Wasn't necessarily the best head coach, but he did run an exciting offense, and he turned uh, Mitch Trubisky into a top quarterback, so good for him. 
Uh, Dude, does Mitch Trubisky, like, pay Larry Fedora every year out of his salary? Mitch Trubisky holds, like, nearly every single North Carolina passing record. That's how depressing North Carolina quarterbacking has been. Ridiculous. Uh, Although the new guy they got, I can't think of the name off the top of his head, but he's really good. Sam. Sam Howell. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Shout out Matt Brown. Uh, Key losses. Okay, Denzel Mams, Chris Jones at wide receiver. Obviously, those are your top two guys at that position. Jermichael Hasty at running back. Um, Sam Tecklenburg on the offensive line is also gone. He was a massive leader for that team and a really, really good lineman. He was second uh, second team all day 12. so he, went out, he went out during the West Virginia game, and that Baylor yeah. offensive line was so bad without him. Yes, it was a horror show. You also lose uh, – I always mispronounce his name, and I'm going to make sure I get it right. Uh, Frew Morgan, uh, Josh Frew Morgan, who was the setter oh, yeah. that had the illegal snap in the Texas Tech game, who was a very good center outside of the one play. Um, returners, Charlie Brewer, obviously a quarterback. Parker, let me ask you. Very good star or superstar. Where is Charlie Brewer this year? This is like let's play Joe Flacco is elite with Charlie this, Brewer. Um, <laughs> Shout out friend of the podcast Shehan Jayaraja, who I've had this beef <laughs> with for uh, a year and a half now. I think Charlie Brewer was not healthy last year. Yep. I don't think that I think that I know that that is a yep. that is a fact. He was not one hundred percent. He had a shoulder issue and he had some head issues. Yep. Um, and so with that, like kind of caveat. Gosh, I can't, I don't know that I'm like throwing, I don't have a source or anything. I don't think I'm telling stories out of school, but like there was talk about Brewer hanging it up last year um, from Brewer's camp, like not, not people uh, from Brewer's camp. And so that, that's really unfortunate because that limits, I think he's a really good quarterback. Mm -hmm. I think he is. um, I made the joke about Skylar Thompson being, you know, Kansas State's uh, Deshaun Watson. Mm -hmm. I think that Charlie Brewer is kind of like Baylor's Sam Ellinger type, like where it is just kind of that, like, you're not great, but you're really not bad. Like you're good. I don't no, you're, get why you're really you're good. good. He's a really yeah. good quarterback. Right, you're right. Really like, good. like definitely above average. I could, if I try to dissect all the little pieces of your game, I will decide that you're not as good as you are. But I think he is really, really good. You know, it's like yes. the sum of the parts, or the, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. If you will. Completely agree. And on that health note, we were both at Big Twelve Media Days last year, and we both heard Rule talk about how, like, yeah, we need to protect Brewer because he runs a lot. And whether that's scrambling or design runs, like he's a fragile boy and it's, he puts himself on the line. And I think his teammates respect him for that. I know they have, because we both talked to some of his teammates, but it, it is interesting to see like, okay, is he going to be a little bit more protective of his own self? Not in a, I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't mean that he's not going to lay his body on the line, but just, he knows what's at stake. I mean, he, he, you know, one more bad injury could really hurt his career. Yeah, and, and, and I think, like, Sam Ellinger is really, really good at that, and I don't know if that's Herman or, or, or him. Ellinger is also big. He's, he's big. He's way bigger. They're definitely not, like, yeah. the same kind of players. Yeah. I'm just saying, uh, like, Ellinger's rush, rush totals versus Oklahoma are way higher than against, like, Kansas. The Kansas game they almost lost, he was like, I'm not laying myself out for Kansas. You know, I'm not going to die. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame him. And so, I just, I think, I think a little bit of, like, uh, intellectual awareness there for Brewer might go a long sure. way towards, uh, especially after that season and saying, like, man – I get why you would want to play hurt and do everything you can to squeeze every bit of marrow out of the season. Like, you know, Matt rule is gone. You know, this is your shot at the playoff. I get that. And so maybe this year he'll be able to uh, be a little more strategic and play better as a result. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the other key returner I, I noted was Taquan Thornton. Uh, he's a junior wide receiver. Um, extremely good. I think he's going to be good again uh, this upcoming year. RJ Sneed, uh, another good wide receiver. He'll be a junior as well. So they have those two guys. Uh, for the next year 
coming back. Uh, you look at running back, um, John Lovett, really, really good running back. He'll be a senior next year. He accounted for 28.1% of their uh, rushing um, production. Uh, Tristan Ebner, uh, or Tristan Ebner, excuse me, will also be a senior running back. He was more of a pass-catching guy. He, uh, he, caught, he was 9% of Baylor's receiving returning production. Um, so a couple good skill guys coming back. The offensive line is going to be really kind of the question, though. It really is. Um, and this is like a weird, like longer, I mean, just because who knows, you have new coaches, you have, you know, some right. of the same players. Like, I just don't, I just don't know what off season, like these guys presumably haven't been able to like lift and be under, you know, get, get cafeteria right. nutrition and all muscle milk in the fridge and everything. So like, who knows what like player development looks like and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, offensive line is just going to be total crapshoot for everyone. Um, it will. Has a lot of turnover. Um, but, like, Baylor was so thin last year. They had a couple of guys they redshirted. So, like, I think they'll have – I don't think it'll be as bad as it got at times mm-hmm. last year. Um, so, I'm not – I'm actually not as worried about the offensive line as I am. You're going to integrate skill players, and you just lose so much on the defense. Yeah. Man. I, did, I did ask uh, the aforementioned Shahan, uh, who we should expect to kind of take Tecklenburg's role on the offensive line. Um, Connor Galvin, uh, he said, is the most talented guy uh, Baylor has and is going to be the leader moving forward. Xavier Newman uh, started a couple games at guard, but he could redshirt to try to develop. And Giancarlo Valentin uh, was a good combo of age and talent. Uh, he was highly rated coming out of JUCO, didn't play a lot last year, so he could be a breakout guy. Uh, go subscribe to Dave Campbell's Texas Football, support Shahan. It's a great magazine. Absolutely, absolutely. Co-sign on that. Uh, defense, Parker. Boy, are they losing a lot. Yeah, man, just – I mean – Gosh, James Lynch is a big old dude. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe on Roy. Okay, so let me rephrase that. I use that colloquially. James Lynch is a monster of a man in how he plays. Bravion yeah. Roy is a monster of a man in his physical attributes. Yes, yes. Just a huge man. Yes, massive. Um, yeah, massive. so I think, again, just losing that much bulk uh, plus plus Jordan Williams, and you kind of yeah. lose – you lose a lot of the secondary. Again, really good job from Matt Rule to kind of – Matt Rule did it. His first year, he played freshman and said, you're going to play. And you're going to yep. learn. And it like, it worked, um, yep. which is really, really cool. I mean, one level, it stinks that you have to suck for two years, but it was an intentional strategy and it worked. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think that is uh, last year was kind of the top of Baylor's development cycle mm-hmm. by design. And even though Brewer's sticking around, like I think in an ideal world, Charlie Brewer goes to the draft this last year, um, yes, but he didn't, he didn't develop as quickly. And so I think, I think he's staying around. Um, and so that, you know, on defense, especially, I think you have an advantage because Aranda knows what he's doing. Aranda's going to have a new system. Um, and so they'll kind of – they're going to have to move some pieces around anyway. And so I think that helps, one, in terms of, like, setting up your new system and getting guys in. You don't have to, like, retrain guys how to play like um, some, other, some other teams might have to do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, I just don't see this defense being good, especially early no. on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Per the numbers, we so first off, we should mention that James Lynch was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. Um, 13. But Max Duggan did stiff arm him, and he fell down. He did, so. and so we have that. Um, per the numbers that we have, uh, Baylor's leading returning tackler on the line is Chidi Ogbonaya, uh, who was a sophomore last year. He had 11 tackles, not that much. They do return Terrell Bernard, uh, a linebacker who will be a junior this year. He had 112 tackles, uh, nine and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. Um, really good player. He should be a very good linebacker. Raleigh Tejada, brother of uh, former TCU defensive back Ranthony Tejada, uh, is probably your leading returning defensive back, but they lose their top three DBs from last yeah. season. So it's 
yeah, it's going to be tough, man. It, I think I think Raleigh could develop into a lockdown corner. I do too, but, but not we, like so like the lockdown corner. Like I think he'll be good. No, I, yeah, it's just but this is last year, so you better do it during the off season because he didn't yeah. have a time left. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I I I think he's been a if not good, then certainly a solid player for a lot of his career. Um, but yeah, and that's sort of the big question, and and you addressed it is how much does Aranda come into play as a defensive-minded head coach, and how much does Ron Roberts come into play um, as a first-year defensive coordinator? He was at Louisiana. Don't call them Louisiana Lafayette last year. Uh, shout out the Raging Cajuns. So, you know, what does he bring to the table? We don't know, but a, a good defensive coach can only do so much, and losing this many people is going to hurt. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, again, I keep coming back to this because I think this is turning into my favorite off-season quote. Doug Meacham on the Run the Power podcast. Quick plug for Purple Theory newsletter. Melissa wrote about this a little bit too. Mm -hmm. But he like threw Kansas completely under the bus and just said like, look, a system is a system, dude. But if you have bad players, like you just can't do anything. Yeah. Uh, And that's really it. It's like Dave Rana could be the best defensive coach in the nation. I think think the best defensive coach in the Big 12s, that mantle is as, as up for grabs now as it has ever been. I mean, I think Aranda is definitely a part of that. And between who? Grinch? Is Grinch, Grinch is at Oklahoma, right? Or is he yeah, Ohio State? I'm, not, Oklahoma. I'm not that high on Grinch. Um, okay, I am. But, but, I but think Patterson, like, Patterson and Aranda, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Chris Ash, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so all, all I'm going to say is like Aranda comes in and is like, okay, there's another big boy playing defense. And, and, and yep. Matt Campbell's done that at Iowa State, too. Um, and so. But you just, if you just don't have the talent, like there's no talent infusion, you're losing all of these guys. There's not these cavalry. Like I just can't see, honestly, this whole situation is terrible for everyone. And, but like, if you were going to pick a year where your football season was going to be uh, shortened and potentially have some like annotations, you'd want it to be the year that you like lost everyone. Like Baylor is having a year I, zero existentially and in reality. I would say that. So as I say this, I, I realize I have another thought here, but, I would agree with that statement if it wasn't Charlie Brewer's senior year because I do think he's meant a lot to the program. I think he's an extremely good quarterback. I think they want to maximize that as much as possible. I do think that Jerry Bohannon is like will be better than Charlie Brewer at quarterback. I think he's an exceptional player. So if this is their punt year and then they can have everyone like healthy, ready to go, and have a young crop of guys come up for Bohannon's first year in charge, that's going to be really interesting. But I, I do – like, I do hate to see Brewers last year get ruined. I honestly do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is think – and in some ways, like, that disappointment kind of for me was, like, last year. Yeah, it was just, like, it was good, but it wasn't as good as it should have been maybe. Oh, you're talking about – okay, for Baylor. About, I thought you about, meant TCU. I was no, like, no, no, about well, Baylor. It wasn't yeah, good, yeah. so I don't know what you were – yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean, yes. Yeah. But to be fair, like, they were – they won their first, what, eight games of the season. They were a extremely good team, and then they just lost – Twice in very close games to Oklahoma, and then a bowl game against Georgia that they didn't care about. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 Baylor was a very good team last year. It, it didn't get to where they wanted, but I think they maximized their potential. I really do. Absolutely. That's really nice. Uh, we we ended on a really nice note here. We did. You Let's, know, I need to, I need to direct this hate. Can I just say that like what Baylor in 2019 was is what Aggie is supposed to be in 2020. We're like <laughs> you just cruise to the first eight or ten games, get a bunch of hype, and then fizzle out. I. I have spent so much time on text ags in the last month. You don't, you don't want to know. Um, that seems health, that seems unhealthy. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting new golf clubs. 
Yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, more than you know. Um, let, let's not bail down a peg. Let's look at the schedule. Let's find some losses. Normally, ask where are the wins. We're, we're going we're to find the losses here. Non-com was supposed to be Ole Miss at a neutral site. Do you know what the site was supposed to be? I'm Houston, guessing Jerry NRG. World. NRG, okay. Yeah. Um, would have been very interesting. Doesn't uh, Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss is like doing that every year. Like, they should. Re- relatively reasonable. That's a like, good call. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. Lane Kiffin playing Baylor. I just thought about that. We, we missed out on that. Um, Incarnate Word and Louisiana Tech were the other two non-cons. Okay, conspiracy theory. Incarnate Word tried to hire Art Riles, and then they get put on <laughs> Baylor's schedule. You do the math, folks. They have played Liberty in recent years. Follow uh, the money. Yeah, LA Tech. Uh, excuse me, Wild Tech as well was the other one. Um, that's probably – a. I don't know when that game was scheduled, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was Aranda flipping them a bone, being from Louisiana and his previous yeah. job. Uh, also, La Tech, Jamar Smith doesn't have a last year of eligibility, but if, like, La Tech last year would have beaten Baylor this year. Like, I thought that was potentially an interesting game, but La Tech was kind of, like, at the peak of their cycle last year, too. Yeah. So that's not even uh, – I yeah. mean, if it happens, but – You know Terry Bradshaw went to Louisiana Tech? I did know that. I I – I've learned that fact four times, and it makes me laugh every time I learn it. Like, I just can't picture him in Ruston. Did you um, know in right. eighth grade, my English teacher only had one football book on her bookshelf, so I read Terry Bradshaw's autobiography like six times in eighth grade? <laughs> Was it written in crown? Um, Did you know I, Terry Bradshaw shows his bare butt in the movie Failure <laughs> to Launch? <laughs> I did know that, actually, yeah. Uh, we are losing our mind. Let's, uh, <laughs> conference schedule. Okay, they are at OU, at Tech, home for TCU, at Texas, uh, home for Oklahoma State, uh, at Iowa State, at West Virginia, home for Kansas State. Parker, let's go down the schedule. Get your notepad out. Okay. First off, this is a bad schedule for Baylor. Um, yeah, this okay. sucks. This really sucks. Okay, at Oklahoma, loss. L. At Tech, I'll give them a win. L. Really, dude, I don't know. I I like Matt Wells. I feel like he's due to do something stupid. Okay. Um, okay. Well, point of order. Point of order. Uh, T.J. Basher and Eric Easy. I can't say his yeah, last name. Yeah, good point. Good point. Plus healthy Alan like Bowman. Eric, plus Matt yes. Wells. Plus a pretty good running back, and an offensive line that returns like a ton of star. I think. I think earlier on, Tech's going to be better than they should be. So uh, that's 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 a good point. I'm still saying better. That, that started from a place of hate. And it and came into some rationality. Rational. Okay. Um, okay, so wait, you're saying win against Texas Tech. Right? I am. Uh, home for TCU. Loss. Yeah, yeah, screw it. I'll say loss. Um, at Texas, loss. I think Texas is going to be pissed. Like, I, think, I, 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 I don't think there's going to be that big of a gulf between the two teams. I think Texas is going to win by, like, two or three scores. Yeah, I think it'll it will not be like a talent or quality disparity. It will oh, be an it's anger. Going to be like I am yes. very mad that you keep, that you beat us last year, and yeah. I'm, we're going to take out our frustrations on you this year. Yeah. Um, home for Oklahoma State. Loss. Loss. I'll say loss. Uh, at Iowa State. Loss. Dude. Dude, back to back to back, Oklahoma State at Ames and then yeah, going man. to Morgantown. That is a rough November, dude. I was talking about how high I was on Baylor, and then I looked at their schedule. I'm like, woof, this isn't good. Um, I think I think I'm saying win just because this is too many losses for what I think. I think okay. I have to say win versus West Virginia. Let, I don't believe that. Can I switch Tech and West Virginia? I'm switching sure. Tech and West Virginia. You can do whatever you want. It's your podcast. Baby yeah. Tech. 
Grant, it's our podcast. Thank you, Parker. Um, I, I will say win at West Virginia as well, for the record. Okay, I'm saying I'm switching that. So I'm saying loss. You're saying win. I'm saying loss. Okay. And then home for Kansas State. I'll, I will say win and Charlie Brewer's farewell throw for 300 yards. Again. Yeah, because that's going to be the difference between like the Liberty Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl or something, or the, yeah, whatever the, the Cheez-It Bowl yeah. is now. Yeah, so I'll give him a win there. Okay, okay so, so, how, so many, how many wins do I have for them? You have one, two, three, and I have two. I only have three wins? You have no, them beating, I, I have them winning. I have them winning Iowa State, West Virginia, and Kansas State. You have them winning Iowa State? I just assumed no. Okay, that's no. Wrong. I, I that is objectively wrong. Okay, but I think they're like they're going to win one of the games that I have as a loss, and I think that's the most likely one. Okay, so you're saying four and five. Yes. And I'm saying two and six, two and seven. They're going to make a bowl, Parker. You have to beat in Kansas and Kansas State, and that's it. Oh, no, no, no. I forgot, oh, we forgot Kansas. About, we forgot about Kansas. Okay, so. so Kansas. We forgot about Kansas. I have a win. Are you changing your Iowa State ba- pick based on the fact that we have Kansas, too? No. I, you know what? No. I think they're going you, to beat Iowa State. You're saying State. five and four. I'm saying three and six. I'm fine with that. I can live with that. Texas Bowl, Baylor. That's my, that's my prediction. <laughs> well, Parker, I, I, this was fun. Dadgummit. I enjoy interviewing all the people we've interviewed, but I also just enjoy talking football with you, Bert. Right. We've and loved the guests, but it was like, man, I'm not a journalist. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to people. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to talk to you um, for some reason. Yeah. What else are we doing? You know, yeah. uh, I, have, I have important news. We're this late on the podcast, so I feel like I can say this. Grant, this is the last podcast from the bathroom. We're moving next week, and Woo-hoo! I will have a closet that I can podcast in. <laughs> so hopefully audio gets better. And two, I don't have to stand in this sweaty bathroom. Um, <laughs> I should clarify that. My house is not disgusting. I'm not a troll. It just, my bathroom gets warm because of insulation and I can't turn on a fan while we're recording. So, uh, be on the opposite side of the house. Oh yeah. She's not going to hear that. Um, yeah. So fantastic. Well, congratulations. That's that's good news. We're excited. Um, Grant, you're, you're contributing to the purple theory newsletter tomorrow. I am. I have Um, a really, really fun video. Um, or article. It's not a video, uh, but it's based on a video that Deshaun Watson did. Um, where he kind of broke down some of the QB run plays that Texas or that the Texans use. And I'm going to apply that to TCU and see uh, how they could use those with Max Duggan. Um, let me make it very clear. Max Duggan is not Sean Watson, but I think they can be used in similar manners, especially in the college game. And I wrote it because I know how much Parker uh, loves running the football. So I love designing runs as opposed to having your quarterback run with his you know, hair on fire. Uh-huh. Uh, so definitely that's good. Well, make sure you subscribe to that at the purple theory, uh, substack. It's just purple theory.substack.com. Um, just throw us your newsletter. Um, and we're just, you know, once a month or, or once a week for the summer. And then whatever we figure out of the season, we'll find some kind of plan of attack for the season. But if you're looking for like high quality, thoughtful TCU content, uh, there's nowhere else on the internet that does the things that we're doing at the purple theory newsletter. So make sure you like it, subscribe and all that. Uh, as far as the podcast, again, just make sure you're sharing. If you like it, throw a review, throw a rating. Um, we're very, very humbled to have, you know, over a hundred people who listen consistently. Um, and we don't care about the numbers as much as we care about like anyone who wants to know about the podcast um, should. So yeah. uh, the final, final note there, I know that there's been a couple really interesting questions that people have given that I filed for later. We're going to get to those uh, soon. We won't do them tonight, yes. but I just want to communicate. There is a mailbag. I want to talk about them. We will get to them. Um, other than that, follow Grant on Twitter, follow Parker on Twitter, and we will see you or hear you or speak to you next week. Bye, guys.